We're thankful to have you worshiping with us uh, this morning, wherever you are. And um, we look forward to worshiping in song. And so we want to um, just uh, in your living room or wherever you're watching, we want you to kind of turn our hearts and our minds and focus. It's really hard, I know, um, not being here, but to put aside the distractions and just focus on what God has for us this morning as we sing about um, the resurrection. Let's sing together. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, who dwelt among men, my example is he. The word became flesh and the light shined among us. Glory One day. 
sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. And ash was redeemed, only beauty remained. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet and my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new now life begins with you. Release from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom, he faithfully When death was arrested and my life began, oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new, now life begins with you. It's your Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so
That song talks about what Jesus did in that moment. That when he paid the ultimate price, that death no longer has victory, no longer has power over us, we can live in freedom. This last hymn we're going to sing together talks about what we can do because he lives. God sent his son, they call him Jesus, he came to
God, we're thankful that you're alive today. Help us to never forget, ever forget that we serve a risen Savior who's not dead, who's not um, asleep, that you are concerned about us, you care about us, and ultimately you know our good and you're working to that end. God, we ask that you'll be with Pastor Shiloh as he brings your message. God, we ask that on this Easter weekend, maybe more than any other weekend, maybe people, we ask that people will turn to you, turn their hearts to you. Maybe uh, during this uncertain time, God, you'll speak to them. Let them know that a life following you is a life of peace. God, we just pray that you will be with your messenger this morning. Speak through him and your word to each of us listening. God, will dedicate this time in Jesus' name. Well, amen. I hope that you are ready and prepared to hear from God today in John chapter 11 um, on this great Easter morning. Um, I will say this, I'm going to forgive uh, this cup, uh, Tennessee. It's Easter, so we will forgive them for that. Um, but uh, I'll have to say roll tight at Easter as well. So uh, we are so thankful uh, for you watching. Uh, let me just say this. Some of you may be watching for the very first time uh, because of an advertisement that you saw uh, on Facebook. Some of you may be watching because your ch children came and, and you got uh, baskets and, and uh, candy yesterday and Friday. Um, or you just may be curious about what's going on um, in our world today. And I'm so thankful that you're watching. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, if you have a copy of the Bible, to go ahead and open to John chapter 11. And that song that they just sang, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world, I have hope. And so that's an exciting thing. We're going to be continuing our series on the I Am statements, talking about the resurrection and the life. Um, there was a pastor, son, and his friend, and they were playing in the backyard, and as they were playing in the backyard, they, they found a dead bird. And so they decided that this dead bird should get a proper burial, so they put it in an old Kleenex box and went outside and dug a hole. And uh, since the, the, the minister's son had seen his father do this numerous times, he said that he would be the one that would give the eulogy and, and pray over this bird. And he remembered all these things that his father had said, usually during this time, and so with a loud voice trying to imitate his dad, he said, glory be unto the Father, and unto the Son, and into the hole he goes. And I think some of us, if we're honest, we feel like we're in a hole today. Maybe some of you have lost your job because of this coronavirus. Maybe you've been laid off. Maybe you feel uncertain about the future. Maybe one of your relationships has spiraled out of control. Maybe all this talk about death has, has had your mind begin to think on things that happen after you and I die. Sooner or later, each of us will experience disappointment. Sooner or later, many of us, all of us will experience death or sickness because we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. I want you to just remember this from Romans chapter 5. Paul reminds us, he says, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. And so the reason that we have sickness, the reason that we have pestilence, the reason that we have disease, is the fact that we live in a fallen world. Remember, God told Adam and Eve, after they fell in the garden, he said, 
Cursed is the ground because of sin. And this morning as we look at John 11, I want us to realize that Jesus knows all about that pain. He knows all about that sickness. He knows all about the disappointment and even death. We do not believe in a Messiah that cannot relate to us. You and I do not believe in a Messiah that is just out in the cosmos that doesn't know what's going on in the world. We serve Jesus Christ who knows all things. And I love this verse in Hebrews 4.15. It teaches us that he has experienced all things. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but in all points have been tempted or tried as we are and yet without sin. So God and Jesus knows exactly what you're going through and what you face. As we come to John chapter 11, I want to catch you up to speed this may be the first time that you've been watching our service or, or you're coming in halfway. And so I want to give you up to speed where we are with the I am statements. We started off with the I am the bread of life that we see in John chapter 6. And we learned that Jesus, only Jesus, can satisfy our hunger for life. We then went to John chapter 8 where we discussed that Jesus is the light of the world. And we learned that Jesus can guide us because he himself is the light. We then jump to John chapter 8 where we learn that Jesus is the door and we learn that he is the only one for salvation and safety. And in that same chapter, we heard that Jesus is our good shepherd and how he is committed to us, he's connected to us, and he has consolidated all of us into one flock. Last week, we jumped ahead, if you remember, to John 14, and we looked at how Jesus proclaimed that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he taught us that he's the only one that can bring peace He's the only one that can keep his promises, and he is the path to eternal life. Now, in our text today, you have to understand what's going on. And Jesus has heard about Lazarus, who is sick. In fact, read verses 1 and 2 before we actually jump into verse 25 and 26. It says, Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. So as we come to, to that, Martha is, is come to, to Jesus because Jesus waited. In fact, I think it's interesting if you look at verse 2, that incident has yet to happen. It doesn't happen until chapter 12. But as John is rewriting his narrative of what happened and takes place, he's letting us know this Mary is one that is known. This Mary is one that loved Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that they love Jesus. And so Jesus waited, Lazarus dies, and as, Lazarus come, as Jesus comes, Mary and uh, Martha begin to talk to Jesus, specifically Martha, and he's trying to tell her that he has power over death, and all that she can see is the sickness and the death, and the fact that if Jesus had been there, that her brother wouldn't die. And so Jesus says this in verse 25 and 26. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He who believes in me, though he may die... He shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And I want you to look at that question. Do you believe this? We have this final public miracle that Jesus is going to do in chapter 11. It is known as the capstone of all his miracles. This miracle was done a strategic place as people would be going to Passover. Because Bethany was about two miles east of Jerusalem on the road from Jericho. And during this time, during, uh, before Passover, which what we celebrate is Easter, there would be all kinds of pilgrims heading to the Passover. 
And so what's going to happen in John chapter 11, as they are coming into the city, they're going to hear about it, they're going to see about it, and they're going to know some things. And so the resurrection of Lazarus is pivotal in the gospel of John for various reasons, and I'm going to give you three. It, it, first of all, it's there because it strengthens the faith of the disciples. They're going to see Jesus do something that is going to let them realize that he has the power over death and power of the resurrection. Number two, it's monumental in spreading evidence of Jesus' deity. In fact, let me just catch you up to speed. In this time, a lot of people, even though Jesus had raised Jairus' daughter and some others, nobody actually was there and saw it happen as far as these disciples. Because you remember, Jesus spoke and it happened. And so some of them believe that it may not have happened or they may not have been dead. But when the disciples see what Jesus does here, and all those Jews that are there and it's spread, it is going to give evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. But then there's some negative. It's the catalyst for the leaders of Judaism to push for Jesus to be executed. If you remember, after every one of these I am statements, I told you this. I told you that every time that he said one of those, the Pharisees and the Jews, they tried to kill him. And so this is going to be the catalyst for them to try to have Jesus executed. Believing that Jesus is the resurrection of life is aided by this miracle of Jesus performing, raising Lazarus from the dead. There's so many things, though, that's going on in chapter 11. In fact, I'll be honest with you, it would probably take three or four sermons for us to really understand everything that is going on in chapter 11. So I challenge you today, um, don't just read what I have read as far as Scripture. Read the whole chapter, and you'll be amazed at what you find. But as I was studying God had me go in a different direction with this passage. And I believe God had me go in a different direction because of what everything that we're facing, everything that's going on in our world, everything that's going on in my life, in your life, as we think about being confined to our homes, as we think about the possibility of, of not able to worship together, as we think about hearing about death and disease and, and financial uh, instability. And so I'm just going to give you three things that I think should be helpful, and I hope it's helpful for you. First of all, Jesus isn't confined by what I think he should do. Jesus isn't confined by what I think he should do. There's going to be a couple of if statements that I'm going to make here to back that up. But before I do, I want you to look at verses 3 through 6. If you remember verses 1 and 2, it talks about who, who Lazarus and, and Martha and Mary were, that Jesus loved them, where they lived, that Mary was the one that anointed Jesus' feet. And then it says, therefore... The sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you, and don't miss this, love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then these next two lines get me. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Does that not just make you go, what in the world is he doing? How do you feel? How do you think the disciples are thinking, hey, Jesus, we know these are people you love, and you're going to wait. So instead of hurrying up, Jesus purposely waits. And I want you to understand, if you get anything about chapter 11, decisions are very deliberate in this chapter. Jesus is doing things deliberately. Number one, he's doing it to, to reveal the glory of God, but he's also doing it so that he can reveal himself to his disciples. That word love in verse 3 is the Greek word for affection. 
And that word in verse 5 refers to unconditional love. So I want you to know this, that being near to Jesus doesn't make us immune to suffering. These verses in this chapter cause some dilemmas for us, and here's one of the ones that I had. If Jesus loved this family, then why did he wait? If Jesus loved this family, which Scripture says he did, why did he wait? One thing you need to understand is being a believer doesn't exempt us from problems. In fact, as we look around in our world today, all of us have problems. We know this, and I hope you believe this, that Jesus could have healed Lazarus on the spot. Jesus didn't even have to go to where Lazarus was. He could have said, he's going to be healed, and he, he could have been healed. Jesus could have even prevented Lazarus from ever getting sick, but he didn't. Jesus answers his question of why he does it in verse 4. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. The situation they are facing is just like the the blind man in in John chapter 9. If you remember, the disciples came, and we do this sometimes. I wish we wouldn't. They went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, who sinned that this man was blind? Was it his parents or or was it him? And I love Jesus' response in, in John 9, 3. It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed and let's go to this word, may be glorified in him. We may not like this hardcore truth, but here it is. What you and I are facing right now is not about us, but it's about bringing glory to God. Do you realize that during this coronavirus, as crazy as it is, God has brought more people to their knees. More people have been seen crying out to God, praying to God, Therefore, God will receive glory even in the midst of our hard times. Remember this from a couple of services ago where we said, though God had not acted, doesn't mean that he hadn't been attentive to what the disciples were doing. So the first question, the first thing that I think that Jesus should have done was he should have left, but he didn't. Another thing that I was questioning, if the Jews were going to kill Jesus, And this is the disciples' question. If the Jews are going to kill you, why should we leave? Even though Jesus had been talking about leaving and laying down his life, we saw that in John chapter 10. Remember he said, I laid down my life. Nobody takes it from me. They were still thinking in terms of themselves. They were still wanting to make Jesus the king right then and right there. They wanted to bypass the resurrection. They they weren't even thinking about the resurrection. They weren't even thinking about the death. But I want you to notice in verse 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? They don't get it. Jesus even said in verse 4, listen, I'm doing this because I have to give glory to God. This has to take place so that the glory of God can be revealed in me, and the glory of God can be revealed in your life. So this is the bottom line. They have learned, pretty much the disciples have learned this, that if people don't like Jesus, they don't like them. So if they're going to kill Jesus, the disciples are thinking, hey, if they're going to kill you, we're your followers, they're going to kill us. They believe that this mission of Jesus going back to Bethany is suicide. Look at what Thomas says in verse 16. He has already come to the fact that, hey, we're going to die. Look what he says. He says, well, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, I love the fact that he's willing to die with him, but he's really thinking, man, we shouldn't go back there. When Martha comes to Jesus in verse 
30, verse 21, and then Mary comes to Jesus in verse 32. They both make this statement that all of us have, have asked when we read John chapter 11, or make it. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Both Mary and Martha give this sentiment. It's Martha's conversation with Jesus that we are brought into more light as to what Jesus is referring to about his glory. But during grief and pain, it's hard for you and I not to blame people. It's hard for us not to blame God. It's easy for us to start asking these questions or making these statements. If only God would have done this for me. If only God would have done things differently, then my life would be different. These kinds of if questions are normal when your world has been rocked by circumstances that are beyond your control. You have to understand, and I want you to think about this, so many times we read this text and we just jump through it to the fact that Lazarus is dead. You need to remember that Lazarus is sick. We don't know exactly what, but he's sick under the point of death. So therefore, if you've ever dealt with this, you realize that Mary and Martha are taking care of Lazarus. They are the ones that are with him day in and day out. They're the ones that watch him slowly fade away. And if you've ever been there, and I have, where you've seen a loved one slowly take their last breath, it is a very difficult time. It is a very difficult situation. And so when they say, Jesus, if you had been here, it is out of grief that they're saying, God, I know that you could have healed him, and I wish that you would have been here. And sometimes we feel like we shouldn't ask God those situations. But please hear me. God is bigger than your questions. God longs for you to come to him. So don't be afraid of being real with God. Even during this time with everything that's going on, be real with God. Be real with God about your situation because he already knows. He can take it. In fact, he wants you to come directly to him. I want you to notice what Jesus says there in verse 23, and then we're going to jump to the second question because I want this to keep in your mind. Jesus looked at her and said, your brother will rise again, but she doesn't catch it. And then if you go down to verse 37, here's the other question that they ask in this test. If, if Jesus has the power to restore sight, they've already seen the blind man healed, how can he not heal this sickness? Look at verse 37. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Isn't it amazing there's always people within Scripture that are always trying to say, well, yeah, he healed the blind man, but apparently he couldn't have done that. They're thinking, hey, if he would have just been there, he could have healed this sickness. He could have spoke. The Jews had remembered that Jesus brought sight to a blind man, and they're murmuring among themselves, saying, surely he could have healed Lazarus. Can I tell you what's underneath it? Surely if he loved Lazarus, he would have healed him. So first of all, we see that Jesus isn't confined by what I think he should do. But number two, Jesus isn't confined by what we think is possible. When Jesus arrives at Bethany, we know this. He's been dead four days. It says it twice in our text. And to those who were grieving, to Martha, to Mary, to all the Jews that have come, all hope has lost. And according to Jewish mysticism, a deceased person's spirit remains around the body for up to three days before departing. And so a belief during that time was that somebody who had died could actually come back to life in this three-day period, but not afterwards. So I want you to think about that. For, the, for them, if Jesus deliberately waited four days. Now, I want to give you some ideas of what happens in four days. you got to remember the Jews did not embalm. They didn't do anything to stop the body from decaying. 
All they did was wrap the body and sprinkle spices on the body to alleviate some of the smell. And I'm going to get a little gross here, but I want you to, to really capture the idea of what happens to a body on the fourth day. We know this, the heart has stopped beating. The, the body's cells are then deprived of oxygen and begin to die. Blood drains from throughout the circulatory system and pools in low places. Muscles begin to stiffen in what is known as rigor mortis, which sets in after three hours. By 24 hours, the body has lost all its heat. The muscles then loosen rigor mortis in 36 hours, and by 72 hours, it is completely vanished. All stiffness is gone, and the body is soft. But the cells begin to die, and bacteria goes to work. I hope you know this. We all have bacteria. But when our body dies, the bacteria begins to take over, and it begins to attack the person that is dead. It begins to break down those cells. The decomposing tissue take a horrific look and smell, and it begins to emit green liquids by the fourth day. The tissue there releases hydro, hydrogen sulfide and methane and other gases, and as we see, there is a terrible smell, and insects and animals will consume parts of the body that they can get to. This is Lazarus' body on the fourth day. So when they say that Jesus has come and he's been dead four days, this is what Jesus arrives, and everyone knows that not only is Lazarus dead, but he is decaying. Twice it says he's been dead four days. So when Jesus tells them to remove the stone, I love the King James Version of verse 39, Martha's like, Jesus, he's been dead four days, and he stinketh. Literally, though, she's not just saying that he smells. She's saying, there's death in there, Jesus. Please don't get that. There's death in there, Jesus, and I believe that you're the Son of God, and you can heal, but you don't have the power over death. She's saying, you can't do anything with death things. It's beyond even what you can do. And Jesus is very deliberate here. Think about it. Jesus delayed long enough for Lazarus to be dead and to be buried because Jesus wants Lazarus good and dead and everybody to know he's good and dead so that when he raises Lazarus from the dead, it'll bring glory to himself and to the Father. In your life and mine, I want you to think about this. God always stacks the odds against us. God always stacks the odds against himself. So, that when we look at a situation and others look at a situation, they'll be like Martha. They'll be like the Jews and say, there is no hope. There is no hope. There is no way for you and I to do, what, to, to do anything to ever get out of whatever we're under. Some of you this morning, maybe your marriage looks like it's unsalvageable. Maybe your finances look like they've gone to the point of no return. Maybe the doctor has come in and said, there's nothing else that we can do. And I want you to hear me, that God always allows this to happen in our lives so that when he shows up, only he can receive glory and only he can receive honor. So not only do we see that Jesus isn't confined to what I think he should do, Jesus isn't confined to what I think is possible in this text. Please don't miss this, especially as we celebrate Easter. Jesus isn't confined even by death. Verse 23, Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. But look at Martha's response. I love Martha's response. It's, it's kind of typical. It's kind of a good Sunday school answer. It's kind of 
Uh, it's kind of what we would say to act like we're super spiritual, but it lacks any linkage to her life. It's just a religious response, but it doesn't even appear to be relevant. Look what she says in verse 24. Oh, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last days. She has a good eschatology here. She understands this in her head, but guess what? It's not approached her heart. And I think that's one of the problems that we have here in America. Most of us know all the facts about Christianity. Some of us have been in church long enough to know that at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ. At Easter, we rejoice the resurrection. But unfortunately, some of us may have just enough of the right answers to keep from experiencing the reality and the relevance of Christianity. Let me ask you this question. Do you know what it means to be inoculated? Basically, it just means to be exposed to a virus just enough so as not to actually catch the disease, but enough to produce the antibodies necessary to keep you from getting it. And I think if we look at America, I think our culture has become inoculated to Christianity. We've been exposed to just enough Christianity so to have a passing acquaintance with it, but not enough to catch the real thing. Let me ask you, does that describe you today? Do you have just a mere acquaintance with who Christ is? Do you know about him without actually knowing him personally? Once we see who Jesus is and we glorify in the cross, we glorify in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, it's not difficult to believe what he can do. He has triumphed over physical death, and he has the power to try over, uh, triumph over spiritual death too. Erwin Lutzer says this. I love this quote. He says, we do not need a Savior who could just help us. We need a Savior who can resurrect us. We do not just need a Savior who helps us when life gets tough. We need a Savior who can help us when life ends. Hear me, church. We all are going to face death. The Bible says it's appointed unto man wants to die. And the question for you, believer, is do you have enough faith in God to believe that he has overcome death, hell, and the grave? Because Jesus says there in verse 25 and 26, I am the resurrection. He doesn't say I'm a form of resurrection. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he says, do you believe this? So Jesus is moving her from an abstract belief about something in the future to a personalized trust in him. Jesus is using the present tense here. He's saying, I am the resurrection. Listen, he's not saying, I will be resurrected. He's not saying, I was resurrected. He is saying that he is the resurrection. The fact that he would rise from the dead was a guarantee that others would too. So Jesus put it this way in John 14, 19. Because I live, you also will live. Think about this. Why do we celebrate Easter? Because resurrection opens the way to life. And the one who believes in Jesus will live even though he dies. That's what he says. Literally, he says, he shall certainly never die, never. But in order to have this eternal life, I have to move from my theology to a bold belief. You can have a proper mindset, but is it in your heart? That's why he says, he who believes in me will live and will never die. So the question for all of us is, what he asked Martha, do you believe this? That word believe 
is a very important element. In the New Testament, faith, trust, and belief comes from the same general root word, meaning to lean wholly upon, as when you lie down on a bed, resting your whole weight upon it. So faith begins with knowledge, which is where the intellect is involved. Then it moves to the emotions, where convictions are developed. And then saving faith must then move to the will, where a commitment is made. So trust, true saving faith involves appropriating what Christ has done for us. And that's why I love verse 27, her response. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was come into the world. Jesus is waiting to hear you and I say this. Yes, Lord, I believe. And as you're watching today, may I ask you, have you ever said that? Have you ever said, yes, Lord, I believe in you. Yes, I believe that you're the resurrection life. I believe that you're the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that you came, that you died on the cross for my sins. Have you ever got to the point where it went from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge? There's only one requirement for entrance into the resurrected life. It's not a matter of trying to be good or even going to church, because right now we can't even go to church. It's not a matter of, of trying to do enough good things. The only requirement is that you personally believe that Jesus exchanged his life for yours by absorbing your sins on the cross. We watched the Passion of Christ Friday night. All my boys and I did, and Nicole. And I just I remember vividly as Jesus is hanging there on the cross, blood is dripping down him. He is beaten to the point of death. And he cries out, my God, my God, why has you forsaken me? And if you know anything about that, that means the sin of the whole world was upon him. And God, who is a holy God, who has pure eyes, cannot look upon sin. And at that moment, at that very moment, Jesus took the wrath of God that you and I should have taken. And he says, I'm doing this for you. And all we have to do is believe that he died for you and for me, and that we're sinners and that we deserve the cross but we also have to believe that he rose on the third day. Are you right now ready to do some spiritual business with God? My only concern about this whole virus thing, getting back to normal, is are you going to get back to normal? Are you going to get back to some of you who have just started watching really regularly? Some of you started reading your Bible regularly. Some of you started getting in the Word. Some of you have grown more spiritually in these few weeks than you ever had. Can I tell you, let's make this the new normal where we don't get back to our old life, but we realize that Jesus is all that we need. Are you ready, though, if you've never made that decision to do business with Him? You and I can leave watching this service the same way that we came. Or you can leave it trying to be good, a religious person, hoping to get to heaven, or you can leave it with full assurance that you will go to heaven when you die. The choice is up to you. I love Thomas's response. I'm going to fast forward to Jesus's resurrection. Remember, Thomas was the one that he wouldn't believe that Jesus was resurrected until he actually felt his nail-pierced hands and, and the side. And when he came face to face to the resurrected Jesus, he made this bold confession. He said, my Lord and my God, do you see how personal that is? The ultimate question of Easter is this. Are you going to believe? John 5, 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. May I make this statement real quick? All of us are just dead men walking. 
The moment that you and I were born, we were born to die. And the question I have for you, are you one that God has resurrected and now you're alive and well in him? Or are you still a dead man walking? Max Lucado suggests that there are at least two results of the resurrection. First, he says this. Number one, my failures are not fatal. Here's the good news. You and I can be forgiven. Some of you are watching thinking, man, you don't know what I've done. I've done so, bad, so many bad things that God could not love me. Look at the cross. He died for your failures. He died for your sins. Our sins are what put him on the cross, and his perfect life has been credited to our account. He also says, number two, my death is not final. Because Jesus is the resurrection of life, what we experience here is not the end. Those who accept Christ are given hope that there is more to come. Let me ask you, where are you at in your spiritual journey? Where are you at? Are you one that's just going through the motions? Are you one that has heard about Jesus Christ? Are you one that has been inoculated into what Christianity is? Or do you truly believe? If you notice at the end of John 11, we read that Jesus doesn't leave Lazarus in the tomb, thank the Lord. And the life called out a voice to Lazarus. In verse, uh, after he's been dead four days, Jesus literally says, Lazarus, come forth. And here's what I heard. I heard if Jesus would have just said, come forth, because he has all power over life and death, everybody in the, in the sound of his voice would have came forth. But he specifically said Lazarus, and here's why. Easter is personal. He died just for you. He rose just for you so that he can bring life to you. You don't have to stay in a hole. So I'm asking you this morning, will you say yes to him on Resurrection Day? Someone has said that the Easter story ends with a funeral, but not with a funeral, but with a festival. It demands not our applause, but our allegiance. Not our compliments, but our capulations. And if you want to move from death to life, you must say, I am to the great I am. You must say, I am tired of staying where I am. I am seeking the Savior. I am a sinner, and I am ready to accept Christ into my life. If you're watching today, and that is something that you want to do, you can pray this simple prayer, and I'm going to read it right now, but if you're there and you're watching and you feel that, that God has got a hold of your heart and you want to be saved, just pray this prayer uh, with me. This is what the prayer is. It just says, Lord Jesus, for too long I've kept you out of my life. I admit that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. I repent of my sin by changing my mind about the way I've been living. I don't want to stay where I am any longer. And by faith, I appropriate your gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to the earth. You are the great I am. And with all my heart, I believe that you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe that your words are true, and I accept you into my heart. Be my Savior, my Lord, my forgiver, and my leader. I surrender to your leadership in my life. Make me in the person you want me to be. Amen. If you pray that prayer, here's what I'm going to ask that you do. I'm going to ask that you reach out to us here at the church. I'm going to ask if you're watching, just in those comments section on, on Facebook, just write, I prayed that prayer so that we can reach out to you and help you and give you a gift from our church that will help you through this journey. But some of you are watching, and you are a believer, but you are overwhelmed by everything that's going on.
And what I'm afraid of is that we as believers, we believe that Jesus is Lord, but when it comes to death, we're still afraid. And can I tell you, when you read John chapter 11, when you read the end of this book, when you read the end of John, you realize that Jesus has overcome life. He has overcome death, and we don't have to fear anything. And if Jesus has the power over resurrection, he has the power over your problems. My question is, are you going to believe in him to do that? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Father, I thank you once again for all those that are watching. Father, we are all in different places right now. Father, we all have different circumstances that may be overwhelming us. Some of us, Father, I thank you for those that may have prayed that prayer to ask you to be their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that you continue to work in their heart and life. Father, I pray that you be with the the Christian, the believer right now that's just having a, a hard time struggling They may be saying, Jesus, if you'd just do this, if you would do these things, then everything would be okay. And God, help us to realize that Jesus isn't confined to what I think he should do. He is Lord, and he does whatever he pleases that brings glory and honor to him. God, help us to be about what brings glory to you. Father, we thank you for what you've done on the cross. God, we thank you, and we celebrate that we serve a risen Savior. And because he lives... I can face anything that comes my way. God, forgive us for the times that we failed you. In your name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you once again for watching um, our uh, Facebook Live. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have been making comments, keep on doing that. If you haven't, just please make a comment. Let us know where you're at, that you're watching. I hope that you will celebrate uh, the resurrection of our Lord in a a mighty way. And then what I'll just tell you, at 5 o'clock today... On uh, our member page, we are going to do uh, communion together as a church, and so I hope to see you at 5 o'clock. But if there's anything that we can do for you, please, I mean this with my whole heart, please contact us, um, either through Facebook or or get a hold of somebody that you know that goes to this church, and we'd love to do everything we can uh, to be there for you. Remember, we serve a risen Savior, we serve a risen Lord, and He is coming back again.